Hello, heroes, and welcome, finally, to a new episode of Critical Success. I'm James D'Amato, your Game Master. Before we get rolling, I have to acknowledge it's thanks to our generous backers on Patreon that I was able to produce a new episode of Critical Success. Now that I have one day a week to do one shot professionally, I have the time to hunt down interviews and think of good answers to difficult questions. On this week's episode, I'm going to be discussing sex and romance in games with Alex Roberts from the Tabletop Superhighway. If you haven't heard Tabletop Superhighway, it's a relatively newish discussion podcast hosted by Larry Spiel, Alex Roberts, and someone who just identifies himself as Jesse on their website. It's a great show with a lot of fascinating discussion. I highly recommend it. And finally, before I launch into the interview, I want to remind everybody that Gen Con is just around the corner and OneShot is hosting events. There's a full explanation of all the activities that OneShot is doing on our YouTube channel, but I want as many people attending our panels as possible, so I'll let you know I'm running a panel on the art of openings. That is how to create a really dynamic and interesting first scene, whether it's for your new campaign or your new one-shot that you're running. That will be Friday at 1pm in the Embassy Suites Ambassador Room 2. And for you one-shot fans, Cat Cool, JPC, and myself will be running a panel on playing as performance and the art of actual play. We're going to wrap that one up with a Q&A that's open to anybody who's interested in one-shot podcast, as well as the subject matter that we discuss in the panel, followed by a meet and greet where you'll get a chance to go out and drink with us after the panel. If that's something you'd be interested in, you can find us on Friday at 6 p.m. at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Pennsylvania Station A. And with all that out of the way, let's get to the show. All right, heroes, let's meet our guest for this week, and that is Alex Roberts from the Tabletop Superhighway podcast. Alex, say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Alex is on a panel show that I listen to pretty frequently now. I have added it into my regular rotations of podcasts that I listen to when I have finished uh, going through making sure there are no errors in either campaign or one shot, which is like, I think, a sacred few at this point. Uh, it's pretty much anything that Chris is on and you guys. So oh, thank thanks you. so much. I'm a, I'm a huge one shot fan. Um, so that's very That's a big compliment to me. That's exciting. I think you're actually the first guest we've had on that was a one-shot fan. I think Ben Dutter had heard of us, but I don't know that he was a specific listener. So <laughs> Really? That's hilarious. I guess I guess that means I guess that means we're we're starting to get around in reputation. Well, Alex, for the people who haven't uh, quite gotten to know you yet through Tabletop Superhighway, I'd figure we give them a baseline of information about you. And the question that I ask everyone is, how long have you been gaming? That is a good question. I, uh, I when, you know, when I first started playing Dungeons and Dragons, no one ever taught me and I never read a rule book. Um, we had a sort of vague by osmosis cultural notion of what Dungeons and Dragons was. And, uh, and, and we just played it. We figured that we could make it up. Um, wow. And so I was, you know, GMing when I was maybe like eight or nine or 10 just 100% freeform. And it, yeah, I know it was, that's, it was that's so cool. <laughs> it was super fun. And, uh, and then, you know, when I was in high school, 3.5 was around. So I played a bit of that and then four came out. And so, so I, I played, a, I played a bit, you know, when we were in high school, we mostly just like made characters. And then when we actually got to play the game, I would always be kind of disappointed. And so uh, maybe gosh, five or six years ago, uh, I had a really good conversation with a, a buddy of mine um, who I, I knew was into gaming a little bit, but we hadn't gamed before together. And I said, uh, I said, you know, I played a couple sessions of Dungeons and Dragons, fourth edition, and I guess I'm just not that into role playing games. You know, I thought I was, but eh, I don't know. I guess I'm actually not. And he, he was a recent convert to Burning Wheel at the time. And so he was like, Alex, what if I showed you some different games? What if I showed you some <laughs> games that were not about tactical combat, but were about other things? Um, and so I got turned on to um, all the story games that were really big at the time, right? Um, uh, I played My Life with Master and Kagamatsu and all, you know, all the kind of stuff that came out of the Forge, include and Burning Wheel as well. Um, and so basically since then, um, shout out to my buddy Patrick for getting me on that <laughs> wagon because I have refused to get off ever since. And now I, I game several times a month and I've been LARPing for about a year, which is new and exciting. 
so yeah, that's that's my gaming history. I could I could go into greater detail, but that's that's the good shit. Well, couldn't we all? I I, I love <laughs> I love the experience of somebody finally finding like the system or rule set or just like manner of play that they have always wanted. You know, a lot of people get it like when they first sit down and play something like Dungeons and Dragons, but it doesn't happen that way for everybody. And it's just like, oh yeah, I really get this, and I really like this. Yeah, and sometimes it's a matter of the right system. Sometimes it's a matter of the right group. You know, I've played with people who were like, who, you know, who just happened to be at a table full of jerks. And so they thought that they didn't like the game. And then when they sat down with people who they actually enjoyed or, you know, who or or just whose play style was more similar to theirs or, or whatever, um, you, you know, everything everything turns around and, and suddenly everything's gravy. And they're like, oh, this is actually fun. Oh, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> oh, I, I, the, a question I have for you, because it's sort of an experience that Kat and I had when you said you'd built characters and sat down and were sort of disappointed by the experience. Was it because you were imagining more vivid stories for your characters than the actual sessions were allowing you to experience or? I think so. You know, I think we were also just, you know, teenagers with short attention spans. And so, you know, it would take us two or three hours to put together characters. And mm. then by the time we actually sat down to play, it was, you know, whatever. And uh, and also some of the people I played with in high school were jerks. And they were mostly just there to troll the poor GM who, you know, put so much effort into his campaigns for us. And we would just derail. It was, oh. um, but, but definitely, I think, uh, and this is still kind of true no matter what I'm playing. I, I really think there was a lot more going on in my head than I could ever actually bring to the table. Um, and I, I also think that my, my expectation of a role playing game was, was such that, it, you know, it was about story and it was about, um, it was about, you know, telling fun, cool, interesting character driven, uh, plots. And so when I would get bogged down, um, you know, by, a, by a lot of crunch or when, uh, when combat would take four hours, for example, um, that was, that was disappointing to me and I would get bored and I would get frustrated and then think that, oh, I'm not playing this right. Or, or just think like, oh, I guess role playing games aren't fun. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I, I, I'm going to circle back to that for later on in the discussion, because sure. I think the private experience that you have in your head is an important part of play. Mm -hmm. Um, but let's let's dive into our subject for this week, which is sex and romance in role playing games. Uh, My favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm so glad that there's a kindred spirit in this. Uh, Kat and I have always discussed our characters in terms of sex and romance in mm. whatever games we're playing. Often because you know when you play D and D or a lot of these combat focused systems, you're playing young people in the prime of their lives who are constantly putting themselves in like super dangerous situations which definitely means they should be hooking up with somebody wouldn't they like you're isol you're in this isolated group in the middle of the wilderness you know you're you're getting all hot and sweaty from slashing at orcs or whatever like somebody's gotta like how is your and think of the drama you know there's only four of you in this adventuring party two of you are hooking up and come on yeah th there's there's so much there to unpack which is why Kat and I were always disappointed with a lot of groups that we went with everybody sort of got uncomfortable whenever yeah. even even the slightest hints of romance would come up and I think there's a lot of baggage with that subject uh, mm -hmm. so first let's talk about the reasons uh, maybe why we don't see it at many tables before we start understanding how we can and introduce it to our own tables. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think something that we really have to acknowledge and have to honor when we talk about um, uh, sex and romance at the table is that, especially when it comes to sex, you know, we growing up in this in this culture, we don't get taught how to talk about sex anywhere about, at any time to anybody. You know, like it's like the sex talk that your parents have with you for like fifteen minutes at the absolute most, and then they run out of the room. Um, <laughs> You know, it's it's not, you know, it's that one session of health class in grade seven and then and then your teachers run out of the room. There are so many people who just grow up not able to talk about sex, um, especially about what they want or what they like or, you know, that side of themselves um, in a serious way. They, they can even talk about it in their own bedroom, never mind being able to talk about it at a table with friends. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that culture is so pervasive of uh when sex discussion come up, especially when you're younger, it is something shameful and that yeah. you are wrong for thinking about. So mm -hmm. it just gets easier and easier to be quiet about it until you're a full-fledged adult and you have to survive in the adult world yeah. and sex is everywhere. 
Yeah, where sex is, whoops, a part of life and a part of relationships, um, and and you have no skills, you have no you have no vocabulary. You know, I think a a, a huge problem uh, is just the, the the lack of vocabulary, right? We either have words that are um, that are super clinical and doctory sounding, mm-hmm. um, you know, which are not very sexy outside of a medical BDSM scene, <laughs> and and then we have really like kind of vulgar words that you know maybe have a lot of negative baggage attached to them or or that are synonymous with insults. Um, so so yeah, that's that's, that's not fun either. So, uh, so yeah, I think there's there's a lack of vocabulary. There's a lack of of skills. Just of how do adults talk about sex? Well, most of them can't. <laughs> and so the way this often manifests at the table is uh, sex as a punchline, right? If right. we're going to talk about sex, we're going to be cracking jokes about sex. And I'm not saying that comedy at the table isn't great. And and sex and and sex is ridiculous. So let's all have a good laugh about you know <laughs> not take it too seriously. But I think very often it's it's humor because people are uncomfortable and they don't know how to talk about it, so they have to make a joke. And I just I think that's a waste. And sometimes it can be more than a waste. Sometimes it can be uh, really not cool. You know, the 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 situations at tables that I've been at where I was uncomfortable or where where I feel like someone crossed a line, it was almost always in the context of humor. People making jokes, maybe sexual jokes that were not okay. And uh, yeah, and that's such a bring down, and I, I, I wish that we could all do better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, well, I think this stems from uh, the more distance somebody has from a subject, the easier it is to generalize something, and mm-hmm. the easier it is to desensitize yourself to it. If you see sex as something that is dangerous or something that you're uncomfortable with, it anything that resembles sex or romance is going to be something that you immediately don't want any part of. You'll be yeah. like... I don't want sex at the table because I don't want characters raping each other. And it's like, believe it or not, <laughs> there's, there's other stuff you can do, man. People manage yeah. to get fine, like, yeah, just this, fine. This volatile, you know, the volatile, dangerous sexuality. And, and I mean, we can, we can talk about safety. We can absolutely talk about safety. Um, I'm all about that. Um, but the idea that like you shouldn't do it because it could go wrong, like man, anything could go wrong. And and that's really to me part of the same idea of people who suggest, ah, well, if you're going to have sex at the table, I want my character to be this ridiculous serial rapist, uh, which yeah. makes everybody, which can make a lot of people at the table uncomfortable. So yeah. it's uh, like any form of role playing. You don't have to let everything in if you let one thing in. It's okay yes. to have somebody play a psionic character without referencing every little rule in the psionic handbook because that <laughs> that's going to destroy your game is going to break the entire game yeah so. there's no there's no 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 mere mortal can comprehend every psionic rule so um and, and that's a good point and you don't have to you know just in this in the same way that you know most games have some violence in them there's mm-hmm. some sort of conflict there's bound to be violence especially in i mean combat based games there's going to be violence oh yeah um but that doesn't mean that at your table you have to have every single gory, disgusting, torture thing, right? You're allowed to set limits. You're allowed to say what is okay and what's not okay. Um, so if, if you're concerned about having sex at your table, is that someone's going to just like bust out this like super pornographic, super explicit, like, whoa, way over the line <laughs> thing? Um, well, just just dial it back, you know, just set the tone. And and we, we can talk about a bunch of different ways to do that. Um, I, I think something that's really funny, you know, just what you say about kind of around kind of shame and silence, you know, we, we live in a culture of, of sexual silence, really. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny to me, because especially when you're running a game, in order to play it really well, you need to know what do your players think is interesting? What do your players think is funny? Uh, you know, what, what, what are your players going to actually get invested in um and then and then provide that make that happen and we know our friends we know our friends sense of humor we know what our friends we know our friends maybe five or ten favorite movies or their favorite books or have at least a general sense um but we don't know what kind of porn they watch for the most part (laughs) i'm not saying there's no exceptions but but you know you know what makes your friends laugh you know what scares your friends but you don't know what gets them hard (laughs) <laughs> and so when you're talking about eroticism, it's this whole like, you know, if you have a map of someone's personality, that's the here there be dragons. Right. That's the big unknown, you know, and it's it's so when, so when you want to introduce something that you think is sexy, that's a huge, huge step of vulnerability. That's making yourself really vulnerable and putting out something that's very private about yourself. Um, so I, I think I, what I really want to say is if it's scary to you, the idea of having sex at your table and talking about, sorry, having sex, I mean, <laughs> introducing sex as a topic and sex and romance at the table. If that, if that's scary to you, you are not alone that it makes perfect sense. It's so normal. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what I want people to take away from this conversation the most is that you are entitled to be comfortable at your table. And Thank when you. you're yes. yeah, when you're saying you want to introduce something or cut something off, you're not there standing for an ideal. You don't have to commit to absolutes. All you have to do is commit to your comfort. And the people around you who are supposed to be your friends should honor and support that. So if you want your character to have a romance or have romantic feelings or even have sex, if you're comfortable with that, you should be able to be comfortable bringing that to the table. If other yeah. people can't talk about it, you know, that's their thing and you respect that space. But exactly. at, at no point are you obligated to stand for the ideal of sex and be like, no, if we're having <laughs> sex, we're going to have all <laughs> sex. Or say, no, I, yes. I'm not comfortable with one thing, so we have nothing. Uh, that That is not how anybody lives. So you're yeah. not entitled to do that. And if people are trying to enforce that on you, they're just trying to argue with you and they're not trying to play with you. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, there's a particular kind of player that we've all played with um, <laughs> who every time anybody appears, whether they're an NPC or an enemy or whatever, they immediately are just like, I kill him. I hit him with my ax. doesn't <laughs> matter. He's like, he's like your long lost brother. He's like, I kill him immediately. And that can be annoying. That can be funny. You know what's worse? The player who's like, I fuck them. Are they hot? As soon as any NPC appears. Oh, what am I kidding? Whenever a female NPC appears, yeah. uh, the player who is just like, is she hot? Like, you know, dude. <laughs> like, it's it's about introducing a topic in a way that everybody is into or mm -hmm. that people are okay with, right? And so... So bringing up to, uh, topics that you think might be a little taboo and testing the waters and working it out and saying, hey, you know, what if you and this NPC had like a, a you know, a romantic subplot? Would that be cool? It's completely different than like this character wants to fuck you and you should do that now while we all sit here and watch you describe it. Like, um, <laughs> you know, people are but, but again, people are so worried about being a creep, which is good worry mm -hmm. think about it be critical um but they're so worried about it that they're like oh i can't i can't possibly do it i can't possibly introduce it in a way that isn't creepy and that is what i that is what i disagree with yeah that, and that's certainly something that i'm interested in pushing back against as well i think uh everybody should be empowered to be themselves when you're role playing that is a space uh, that provides a lot more vulnerability than a lot of people get to experience in their own private lives. Mm -hmm. uh, something I find magical about improv is that with a scene partner, if you know or playing with somebody you trust, you can do almost anything. And I can have discussions that I just can't have in my own skin. That's a magic mm -hmm. that role playing can provide for everybody. Uh, so there's, there's no reason to cut that off. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, so let's let's talk about Let's, let's talk about the right way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So if you, if you are, um, I played in a really, oh, I play tested a really, really amazing game um, at, at Dreamation uh, earlier this year um, called Disco World, which is in name an Apocalypse World hack, but it had been hacked so far away from Apocalypse World. There's nothing to do with it. But yeah, Disco World, which is about, um, you know, the emergence of, of disco in New York in the late uh, or mid 70s, sort of like the really early days of it. And if you're going to talk about disco, you're gonna I mean, if you're going to set anything in the <laughs> 70s, really, you're going to have to talk about sex. There's got to be some, the themes in that game were about sexual freedom and sexual liberation, um, you know, and we we had a queer character and, you know, we had a number of women characters. And and so this this idea of like the sexual liberation of the 70s was, was a really important theme. So the GM was amazing, like probably one of the best GMs I've ever had. And there are like three things, basically, I don't know, probably more than that, but three really key things. <laughs> One, checking in before you introduce it. So saying, okay, so I think it'd be really cool if your character had a scene with this NPC that was, you, you know, whatever kind of interesting, sexy setup. How does that sound? Mm -hmm. And then and check in, good. And then checking in as you're doing it, not not necessarily verbally, but just like, okay, looking around at everyone else. Do, do people look uncomfortable? Are they looking away? Or are they like, wow, this is cool. This is interesting. And then checking in after. And making sure and saying, hey, you know, we talked about some like, whoa, that got that got really kind of heated. Is everyone cool? Are we good? All right, let's move on to the next scene. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, consent is consent is the order of the day. Consent is is the sort of the one rule, really. Mm. And um, and consent is not like a 
contractual like well you agreed to have a sex scene in this game so now i just get to do whatever no yeah sex is an active process so the, the only way to have sex and romance at your table is consensually and that means in a way that everybody involved is into if even one person isn't into it even if everybody else else at the table is like hell yeah doesn't matter if, if someone doesn't think it's cool then then you put it away um and that might mean that you know, sometimes you sit down with a group and, well, this is not the right group to have, to have like a sex and romance or, or, you know, a romantic angle. They're not into it. Okay, moving on. Next time. Um, and, but that means that with the right group, you can do something really interesting and really cool and really compelling. And also when you do that check-in and when you really actively talk to people, um, people who might have thought, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to have like a, you know, a, this, any kind of sexy subplot in this game. When you're checking in with them and saying, how about this? What if this, you know, what if, what if we, we talk it like we, we sort of set up the scene like this and then we, we pan to the fireplace or, you know, we fade to black <laughs> at just the right moment. Suddenly they might be comfortable with that. They're okay. Right. So someone who said like, oh, you know, I, I don't want my character in this and this other character to hook up. Okay. Well, what if it's not explicit? What if we, what if we set our scene the morning after you guys have just hooked up? Oh, that, okay. Now that I can play, that can be interesting. That can be funny. That can be, that's, that's a, com that's a comfortable level for me. Right. So you got to work with people. You can't foist it on them. Absolutely. Um, and one thing that you spoke about there is actually an improv technique. Uh, when you have something that is going to cause a lot of emotion or, you know, basically anything interesting that's going to happen and improv that also includes violence. So if somebody's mm -hmm. going to get killed or stabbed or if two people are going to have sex, you don't have to see that event on stage. That's not necessary. But right. seeing just before or just after that event can be fascinating uh, because yeah. that's where the emotions at its highest. I mean. Uh, you're not just watching porn for the money shot. You're watching it for the buildup too, uh, because all of that emotion is like coming to a head. Uh, so starting a scene just before something happens or just after something happens is a great way to start broaching the subject without yeah. actually diving right into it. Yeah. Um, you know, a, an interesting parallel, I think, in is when it comes to horror and when it comes to comedy, right? So if you're making a horror movie, you can do the cheap jump scare and you can you can get people to, oh, you know, if you're making a comedy, you can get a cheap laugh, right? Guy slips on a banana peel or, you know, you whatever, you appeal to some taboo and people, people chuckle. But that's not the same as walking out of a movie and going like, man, that was so funny. Like that just gave me such a good feeling, you know, or walking out of a really good, creepy, deep psychological horror movie and saying, you know, it's, I didn't scream, but oh man, I felt it and I still feel it. And I'm going to think about it for hours and I can't sleep tonight because that movie was so spooky, so deeply spooky. Yeah. Um, so I think when it comes to having any kind of eroticism, you can do it in this really kind of cheap, exploitative way that is just like, Bleh, you know, here's some boobs, I guess, or whatever, <laughs> you know, here's, here's the money shot, right? Um, so you can do that and that's fine. And, you know, no shade to porn or the people who make it. But isn't it so much more rewarding and isn't so much more interesting to just evoke that, right? To just, you know, show the silhouette, imply it, you know? And so that's not only something that is a lot lower stakes for people and that it can, is more likely for people to be comfortable with, but I think it's also a lot richer, you know? Leave a few blanks, let people fill in with their own, again, because because eroticism is so subjective, you're probably gonna be a lot better off if, if you know, your players um, can fill in a lot of the blanks themselves. Absolutely. Well, and, and that's like comedy and horror and yeah, romance too. They're all playing with tension at different levels. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a, a, a deep, uh, a deep secret, uh, game design project I have in the back of my mind is to make the sexy dread. So <laughs> yeah. like basically just the game of sexual tension with a Jenga tower. <laughs> oh man. Uh, that's, that's so interesting. I'm wondering how I would even approach it because I see romantic tension as being built up where I get, well, I suppose oh. the tower is also getting built up too, but yeah, maybe, maybe instead of pulling, you build the tower and then you just, then you just push it down at the right moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think dread is playing with that exact same mechanic. I, I'm actually, mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that dread can't do that for comedy too, or it would be a real challenge, but Neither here nor there. Those are game pro game design projects. Uh, let's yeah. let's uh, continue talking about introducing it to the table. Uh, so we spoke about consent, which is really mm -hmm. important 
Uh, and I, yeah. I really like that you touched on the fact that consent is not a one-time event. It is mm-hmm. an ongoing process that happens throughout whatever you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and that that's not just for sex. Uh, so a lot of those people at the table who irk people are not respecting consent in other areas and not just yeah. sexually. So that's one thing to think about. But uh, mm-hmm. let's talk about romance. Romance, I think, is an easy foot in the door to all of this because mm-hmm. it actually is something that we have a cultural language for. Uh, we see it all over the place in different ent- forms of entertainment. It comes up. It's uh, a really, really important part of everyday life. And it's one that we're allowed to talk about. And it's a way to ease ourselves into this world that's a little bit unfamiliar and to some people a little bit scary. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the strength, but also the limitation of our hobby is really the extent to which we replicate um, you know, we rely on tropes and we rely on sort of shared, easily accessible things that we can all imagine together. Um, so when it comes to when it comes to romance, I think a big limitation is that there are not there's not a ton of great examples that a lot of people have access to of really good romance in in media. You know, romance plots are generally really tacked on. Mm-hmm. You know, how many how many otherwise interesting or fun, you know, movies have you seen where it's just like, well, there's a guy character and a girl character, so they're probably going to kiss at the end. Oh, is she the and first person he talked to? Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, and we're done. And it's just not interesting and it's not it's not compelling. Um, and so so it, it can be hard when you don't have when you don't have many models and it, so that means that you have to make up things a lot yourself and as with anything else that um anything else that you introduce at the table any any other topic that comes up at the table you got to ask your players and you got to find out what they like and that can be that can be a scary question you know and you don't want to again you don't want to be creepy <laughs> and you don't want to, and, and maybe you're you're uncomfortable talking about this kind of stuff in general, but you have to ask your players, what do you think is romantic? What do you think would be cool if these two characters, like, you know, okay, our two characters, I think they have some history. I think they're in love. Let's do a scene where we can, where, you know, where we can build on that. You know, again, that involves being vulnerable. That involves saying yeah. what you think is romantic. That very, um, The very act of saying that you would want to do something like that is vulnerability. And that's something that yeah. people shy away from. But I don't think they shy away from it for good reason a lot of the time. They, they shy away from it because they have a lot of pent up fears about it. But it, it, do, yeah. it doesn't make you creepy just because you want to speak about something that not a lot of people want to speak about all the time. It can. Yeah. It can. <laughs> if you're, it could go hand in hand, but it doesn't, impl- it doesn't mean it. Yeah, if, if you're thinking about it, chances are you're not creepy. Um, so I actually want to talk a little bit about uh, how Kat and I started introducing romance when we first started role playing. Awesome. I think the first time that I ever discussed sex or romance in a context that was role play was back in high school when I was reading a ton of fan fiction with my friends. Uh, mm-hmm. Fan fiction is this fascinating process where you are reading fiction, but you're also in control of it. And it's that weird interactive experience that we get from role playing. I mean, I take iconic characters and I put them in my games all the time, and it's oh, yeah. essentially doing fan fiction. It was the first time that it was okay for people to discuss that like openly. Uh, yeah. without it having any implication about me or my thoughts about anybody else in the room. We all understood that although we were talking about love and sex, it didn't mean any of us were in love or were going to have sex. And yes. I think that that is an important barrier for people to have when they do this. So however you get your in to separate yourself from your character in those moments that you need to to feel safe, uh, you have to empower yourself to do that. And because fan fiction was such a personal experience, because I read it and then I talked to people about it, uh, that allowed me that separation or it gave me those tools. So when I was doing my first role-playing game with Kat and we kind of realized that our characters were arguing all the time and taking shots at each other, it was a total Beatrice and Benedict situation. And that like something was happening uh, between those characters because we just wanted to start the wizard wanting to fight the sorcerer. That was our way in. But a lot of the role playing that we did around it never happened in game. 
it was all things that we were talking about like i think this is what our characters are doing or talking about out of game and it wasn't a thing where like most of the time we would speak in character to each other when we sat at the table and then when we were away from the table we would go well i think rowan and inway are probably doing this or having this tense moment here that eventually built up to where we were able to talk directly about it but it was a slow process where we really had to learn how to trust each other yeah yeah absolutely and uh and uh, you know start small right i i think i think that's a really important um, piece of advice uh you know as a way of testing the waters and also as just a show of just a show of, you know, I'm I'm not here to do this to creep you out. I think it's a genuinely good idea if our characters have this thing. Well, start small. Don't barrel in there and be like, our characters are making out. No, you just be like, what, you know, I feel like our characters kind of have this thing. Like, God, be explicit about it. You yeah. know, don't, don't, don't try to take some back door to get to that scene. Just be like, <laughs> I think our characters have some sexual tension or, you know, so this, some, this sort of kind of cute, you know, thing going on. Um, what do you think? Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's do a scene around it. Um, talking about out of game, you know, is a cool idea. Just to, just like in real life, you know, relationships can be a lot more ambiguous than just friends, lovers, right. boyfriend and girlfriend, right? Um, you know, relationships are, are multifaceted. And, and so there's ways to honor that in the game too. You know, your characters are friends or they're sworn, you know, whatever blood oath. <laughs> Man, maybe there's some romantic maybe there's this kind of feelings maybe there's this maybe there's that um you know play with it um something i would also really recommend uh because i'm a system matters uh, kind of theorist <laughs> if you want to play a game that has some romance in it play a romantic game absolutely uh, they exist um you know breaking the ice is kind of is a you know, really groundbreaking game in that regard in that it's very specifically about romance um kagamatsu was a game that like just totally a game changer <laughs> game changer <laughs> uh for me uh, monster hearts is a game that uh, in addition to being very, being very sexy um it is built in mechanically into that game that your characters have got to have some kind of tension between them yeah um you know whether they hate each other or they love each other or they're they hate each other but they're mad with lust or they you know whatever are disgusted by each other but they're also whatever um it, it's there it's it's built yeah. to be there and it's gonna be there and if you if you play a game like that um, you might find that the other people who want to play this game are maybe going to be more receptive to a romantic plot um, than people than if you just show up at somebody's shadow run game and are like, uh, my character's in love with your character. The yeah. other thing is unrequited love is also gold. Um, so, so you can decide that your character is madly in love with another character. And if they are like, no, my character hates your character. That's gold. That's yeah. super fun. Play with that. Your character could be tortured. Your character can be like just making an ass of themselves like yeah go go crazy with that you know romance in real life t takes on so many different forms and it looks so different and 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 run, in a role-playing game you can explore that you can make space for relationships that maybe wouldn't exist or work or make sense in real life or that you personally don't have access to in real life um but you can make in the context of the story and just see if that has see, see what happens absolutely i i think uh you touched on something really important there in the system mattering, uh, the role-playing system that you're using provides an important context uh, mm. for everybody at the table. Uh, so when when you play something like Monster Hearts, that opens up the door and sets the expectation up top, which actually gets a lot of the awkwardness or a lot of the personal fears that you might have about being the creep who introduces mm. sex or romance that takes it away because the game is introducing that and you can then like that opens up the door for conversations for you to expand it into other games if people sit down and play that way and realize oh my god i love this yeah. then then you can have it in so many different places yeah exactly and it's um in a funny way, because, you know, as we've discussed, there's there's some discomfort around this and there's it requires a lot of vulnerability. It can be difficult for people. If you play a game like um, a Dream Askew is another good example. Like that's a sexy game. That's a game <laughs> that, you know, really ties people to each other and um, and, and you know, has this sort of this romance and the, that kind of relationships built into its design. Um, it, it almost gives people an excuse, you know, and so so they so that they don't have to feel like they're 
coming up with this thing, you know, all on their own. It's like, well, we're since we're playing a sexy game, maybe our characters could have this relationship. Or, you know, since we're playing this game that, you know, already sort of implies that there's going to be some romance going on, uh, well, it's okay. Yeah. Um, so that it can sort of... Um, in a way, it vets people, right? Because if you're not comfortable with a sexy romantic game, you're not going to play Kagamatsu. It's just not going to happen. That's fine. You can opt out from the get-go, and that's cool. Do your thing. Um, but it also, I, I think it could be kind of a gateway. Like you said, people have that experience, and then they're like, oh, this that wasn't so scary. That was fun and rich. And then they bring that to other to other systems and other games that they play. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm sure we have a lot of people out there in the audience who have a significant other that they like to role play with. Uh, one of the ways to avoid a lot of this tension and a lot of this uh, fear of putting yourself out there and making yourself vulnerable is to go to somebody who you already love and trust and start playing <laughs> these games with them. I, I, there is no reason that a couple shouldn't be able to sit down together and play Breaking the Ice as uh, their own part of how they experience their relationship. Uh, yeah. If, you, if you're role-playing with somebody, uh, there's no reason to cut yourself off from a certain role-playing experience. Uh, and I definitely, you know, uh, plan to play Breaking the Ice uh, with my girlfriend because I feel like it's, you know, it's it's something that you can do that's still a date. <laughs> <laughs> we can stay inside and play a game, and yet this is still, I'm still counting it as a date. Yes, I've absolutely done that. And you know what's so funny is... Um, you know, Emily Kerboss, when she talks about that game, um, she specifically says, this is a great game for, to flirt with someone with, you know, <laughs> it's a great, it's a great way to flirt. Like it's a whole system for flirting, um, which I think is brilliant. Right. Um, because, because again, like, you know, expressing those kinds of things doesn't have to be done in a creepy way. You yeah. can actually do that. People all around the world are are talking about sexy, cute, romantic, sweet things, um, and and not and are you know in a healthy and consensual and and happy way that makes everybody involved happy. Um, so so you know why shouldn't games do that? Yeah, yeah, it, it, and I think a part of the reason that we're seeing so many wonderful games like Breaking the Ice come out mm -hmm. now is game design is in a beautiful period where we are expanding the meaning of what it is to be a game and yeah. the subject matter that we can discuss in games. Uh, so I, I, we're, we're going to see a lot more romantic systems. I, I think Blue Rose uh, was announced or announced that there's going to be a new edition of that. There's all these wonderful things coming out from Emily Care Boss. And I know pretty much every two-player game that I look at because I'm like, oh, maybe maybe we'd want to do a two-player game for the show. They're all about romance. So yeah. it, it, it <laughs> that Google search quickly turned into like, oh, man, we're going to have like a theme month coming up where all we do is play <laughs> uh, these games. But I, like I, I think the in the beauty of innovation and design is that we are getting more games that give us better cultural contextual language to play out these sorts of scenarios. Absolutely, and uh, you know my hope is that you know what if what if playing a game that's romantic or playing a game that was sexy actually gave you some language to talk about it in your own actual real life like that to me is the dream you know because i recognize that people people grow up so ill-equipped um you know to talk about consent to talk about what they like to talk about you know to ask other people what they like um you know these are skills that that you have to learn somewhere and the idea of people learning those from games and then having a richer you know uh, sex life because of it is like the uh, that's a dream. That that would just be my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> the, one of the things that I love most about that is that is something that realistically a role playing game is very well equipped to provide you with. That is a skill set. I know. Like we we talk uh, all the time about how role playing games are a great way for people who are normally antisocial to start socializing because it mm -hmm. is a game that requires other people and nerds have such a reputation for being antisocial and not yeah. able to break out of their shells. I mean, it's right there. It's sitting right there in front of you. Why not create something that allows people to take back that lesson to their normal lives and yeah. uh, and really benefit from it? Yeah, so I, you know, I think the potential is just enormous, and um, 
I, I, I want to recognize that a lot of people, when they're talking about sex and games, they're trying to figure out how, how they can make it not awful. And if that's where you are starting from, you know, I respect that. Um, that's, that's, you know, good first step. But Absolutely. I really, I really would like, I'd like people to realize that you can play a sexy game. I have been in games where a moment happens between two characters and everybody looks at each other and goes, my God, that was so hot. <laughs> and that's awesome. It's the best feeling in the world. Um, the game was Dream Askew by Avery McDonald, though, if you're interested. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, it's there and it can happen. And if you're willing to, if you're willing to put yourself out there, which is actually the scariest part, um, and you're ready to check in with people and be very, very active in terms of, um, where everyone is at and what they're okay with and how they're feeling, um, and you're willing to ask other people and they're willing to, to be a little bit vulnerable and to put themselves out there a little bit and, and maybe say something that, you know, maybe they wouldn't in another context. Um, if you can make that happen, it is so rewarding. It is so magical. And, you know, as we said at the very beginning of this cast, sex is a part of life and it's a part of relationships. I would, you know, a lot. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, you know, every RPG is an ensemble cast. And it's, you know, it's, it's a story about people. Um, so the fact that if there's just a huge blind spot where where sex and romance doesn't happen, I think we're impoverishing our games. You know, we're really limiting the kinds of stories that we can that we can tell. Well, certainly, I, I am a person who truly believes that role playing games can enrich your life. That's that's why I dedicate so much time to making sure that people know about all these different systems. Yeah. Uh, so when, when I look at something that potentially could be really useful to the this, like directly the type of people who play role playing games, I, I'm going to push for it. And I'm going to say uh, nobody is ever under any onus to involve sex in their games. But I would hope that after listening to this podcast and hopefully reading through some of the games and systems that we discussed on the show, check in with yourself. And if that is something that you might be interested in or you think would be fun, please go out and and try to do it. Uh, yeah. uh, one question that I have, because, Alex, you have played games uh, that have had a heavy sexual element to them and it's been a rewarding experience for you. If I am somebody who is looking to go out and have one of those experiences, where do I look? Because I might not be comfortable talking to my friends about it because I'm worried about being a creep. Uh, so right. where, where did you go? This is one of those pieces of advice that's hard to give because I recognize that not everybody lives in a big city. Mm -hmm. um, not everybody has the means to attend conventions. Um, and, and so that's limiting. So I, I feel that. But if you have a chance to, um, to go and play with a bunch of strangers at a convention, um, make it happen. Give it a shot. Um, if you have a chance to to shake things up, um, if if like like you said, if you have a significant other who games, mm -hmm. oh, you're way you're ahead of the curve. You can play a two player game with them. And again, you you, I would hope that you have you know some way to talk about those things with your significant other. Um, maybe you'll get better at it through the game. Uh, so so I would say, um, you know, like my home group, I love them to bits. Um, but they're like mostly men and mostly like. 10 years older than me and they have wives and whatever. Uh, so, you know, it's not always the sexiest games that I play with them. Um, but I actually find it weirdly easier to talk about these things with strangers than with friends because it's like, well, if they judge me, I'm never going to see them again. Exactly. Uh, so, so I would honestly say um, go to a good convention, uh, you know, or any convention really, uh, and either run a game that, that you, you know, explicitly say is, is going to be like a romantic game. Uh, or or try to find try to find those. Oh, yeah. Also, if if you can play with not all people of the same gender and sexual orientation, uh, if you can make that happen, you're going to be in better shape. That's that's been my experience anyway. Yeah, o opening yourself up to different worldviews in gaming is good. Period. I mean, mm -hmm. having any sort of diversity either at your home table or just in the ex gaming experiences that you have in the world is going yeah. to make you a more well-rounded gamer and person period. Uh, but w one thing that I'd like to add to this is we have the internet these days uh, <laughs> and they're like, you don't need to start dipping your toe into this just by uh, starting a game with online strangers, because I know 
I, I, I'm not the type of person who walks up to new people and talks to them, let alone tries to initiate a sexual role-playing experience <laughs> with somebody. Uh, but I definitely feel comfortable discussing things on forums. Uh, there are plenty of wonderful forums that you can go out and get involved in and start discussing these games. And in that, you can find people that you might be able to play with online. And that is an experience that can be even safer because, uh, as Alex pointed out, and I think this is really, really true, it is easier to talk to strangers in some circumstances because the stakes are lower. You will never see that person again or that person is through the computer and there's nothing that they can do that would disrupt how people view you or how you view yourself. And that's a great way to grow and develop as a person. Have conversations about it in places where you might be able to reach out to somebody and start games based on it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I would reiterate that um, the kinds of games that you're going to play, I'm not saying you can't have a totally sexy uh, GURPS game, but... <laughs> If you if you specifically go out looking for um, if you specifically are are seeking other players to play you know Monster Hearts or or something like that um, you're again it's going to be a lot easier to go from there uh, you know and have and have a sort of sex and romance uh, themed game. Well, that's game um, that's game design for you. Is somebody has sat down and thought about how to make something good and fair. Uh, yes. The subject matter of the game, if it's sex. They've figured out a way to make sex good and fair and enjoyable at the table so it's not all on you and the people that you're playing with to behave properly because the game will help you do that. Yes. I mean, they they can't guarantee it. Um, and <laughs> there are some bad games out there that have yeah. tried to deal with sex. Um, but yeah, exactly. If there's a game that, that lots of people are playing and, and saying that they're having a really cool, interesting uh, time with, then it's, it's worth checking out. Um, uh, so yeah, I think, I guess that would be my last piece of advice is, uh, play games about it. And then, and then, you know, as we said before, once you've played, you know, a couple of games of breaking the ice, then maybe all of a sudden you're equipped to talk about romance in other games because you have some experience with it. Yeah. And I will reiterate earlier, um, the advice that Alex gave about checking in with people. Uh, this can be an ongoing conversation. If you have a, a significant other or a really close friend that you love and trust, you can make them your buddy to, you know, go in and have these experiences with um, either together or at other tables. And you can talk about what you enjoyed and didn't enjoy and what made you comfortable and uncomfortable. The more you talk about those experiences, the more confident you're going to be in advocating for yourself which is really important. You are the person who will protect yourself. Uh, yeah. You can have somebody stand up for you in certain circumstances, but you want to make sure that you are a confident self-advocate. And that if you can build that up through role-playing, uh, you have set yourself up pretty good in life too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also, um, uh, you also have to give, give people the option to opt out without consequences. So there's no, oh, come on. None yeah. of that. Put that shit away. Um, there's no like, oh, well, pff, okay, if you're going to be a prude about it. Nope. <laughs> nope. If someone says, oof, no, that does not sound like a good scene. Or, no, I really I really don't want my character to go that way. Um, then you just say like, cool. How about this instead? Cool. Yeah. What do you, or what, you know, what do you want to do instead? Um, so give, give people a very low stakes um, way to opt out. Because as I said, um, you know, I think you can have a really cool, awesome, sexy time um, at the table, but we all, you know, some, you know, we just we live in a culture where lots of people have have shame and have trauma and you have to honor that and respect that. So meet people where they're at. Um, try your best to find people who are where you are at, if you can, uh, and and work with work with people from, again from where where they are. Uh, you know, don't don't try to push them into this or that work, work with them, uh, introduce things. And, and see where it goes and respect where wherever, you know, it has to go with given the people that are at the table. Yeah, absolutely. One of the most wonderful and encouraging things about the sort of uh, the culture that we have around gaming these days is there are absolutely people and thousands of people who probably share your tastes. Uh, they are yes. out there if you want to find them. So it's not like if you get into a situation, you have to hold on to it or force something to happen. There are other options. 
Yeah, uh, exactly. We, exactly. We, um, you know, even if you don't live in a gigantic city, um, there's probably more than one role playing game in town, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or, or you can find people on Google Plus to, to play Hangout games with or you can or you can, you know, play play your weekly Pathfinder game. But then, you know, that couple of times a year when you go to that really cool convention, you can bust out and play something, you know, really cool and, and have a different experience. Absolutely. Uh, well, Alex, I think it was a joy talking to you about this. Uh, Thank you so much. It was so much fun. Yeah. Uh, can you please uh, remind our audience the different places that they can find you if they want to listen to your podcast or if they want to reach out to you? Um, absolutely. Um, the easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. I'm at Muscular Pikachu. Uh, That's a current... great Twitter handle. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, find me on Google Plus if you can, because I'm on there a lot. Or find me at thetabletopsuperhighway.com and listen to my podcast. Uh, and when does your podcast come out? Um, uh, we're on like an every other week. It's usually Wednesdays when we have new ones. Ah, uh, yes, that's a that's definitely a podcasting answer. Usually Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's definitely how the overshare works. Uh, so uh, everybody, please go check out Tabletop Superhighway. The discussions on that show are so fascinating and so valuable. I, I really love hearing people take games seriously and talk about them and their potential. And that's an experience you can absolutely have on Tabletop Superhighway. Oh, well, thank you so much for your kind words. Everybody listen to One Shot too, but I mean, you obviously already do. But <laughs> But keep doing it. That's my advice. <laughs> and I'm going to make sure if there you listen to one piece of advice, listen to that one. Uh, <laughs> Alex Roberts, again, thank you so much for joining me and talking about this. I wish you all the best in the future, and we hope to have you back at some point. I would love to come on anytime, talk about anything. <laughs> well, that's it for Critical Success this week, but we'll be back next week with Jack Norris from the design team on the new edition of the Blue Rose role-playing game, which is on Kickstarter right now. It's going to go hand in hand with our discussion of romance and sex in this episode, so don't miss it. And remember, this Friday, thanks to you Kickstarter backers, Kat and I are releasing our newest podcast, First Watch, where you just sort of check in with us and hear our ideas about role-playing and all sorts of things. We're also going to be adding new content to the Secret Archive this week, so watch out for that. If you want to get in on the Secret Archive content and be part of our wonderful Patreon team who is supporting us and creating new shows for you like First Watch or reviving old shows like Critical Success, you can find us on patreon.com slash oneshotpodcast. One Shot is a joint production between Paracosm Press and Peaches and Hot Sauce. Peaches and Hot Sauce is a Chicago-based comedy network with tons of great articles, videos, and podcasts for you to enjoy at peachesandhotsauce.com. Finally, that music which is right now swelling up over my voice is Be Your Own Pet with Adventure, courtesy of Infinity Cat Records. See you next time, heroes! Yeah,